Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to The Times. To find out more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Welcome to the latest edition of the Times Opinion Podcast. My name is Tim Montgomery, and this week, in our first post election edition, we have just one political topic. Apparently, there are other things to discuss. So, with me, I have Patrick Kidd, Times Diarist, Giles Wittell, the Times Chief Leader Writer, and our super fired, wonderful columnist, Libby Purvis. When it comes to recovering from a disastrous election, it is best to ignore that noted political analyst Megan Trainer. It is not all about the base, about the base, but about understanding those who rejected you. Small businesses and aspirant parents of the kingmakers, do any of Labour's would-be leaders get this? It would be better to pick the next leader in an open primary of floating voters than an internal talking shop. Nicola Sturgeon is right. Renewing Trident is ridiculous. She's wrong about the reason, though. The £100 billion figure used by the CND is for 40 years, and anything can be made to seem appallingly expensive over 40 years. The reason is that Trident is outdated now, will be even more outdated in 40 years, and may well be every bit as vulnerable to terrorists as able seaman William McNeely says it is. At last, research confirms what has been obvious to anyone with a brain. The LSE has shown that when schools can be bothered to enforce a ban on the distraction and indiscipline of allowing mobile phones, learning improves, and most noticeably it improves in the lower achievement groups. That many schools don't even try to do this is a disgrace. Well, that's a topic I'm really looking forward to discussing. But we must begin with the Labour Party. Patrick Kidd, you think that we should have, or the Labour Party should have, some kind of selection meeting with aspirant parents and small businesses rather than their core activists deciding who succeeds Ed Miliband? At the moment, they seem to be talking to themselves the whole, whole time. And whenever anyone tries, and we're talking about the leadership candidates, mm. of which there were five, tries to talk five about... Five at the time uh, of uh, at the time, oh, There could yeah. be ten by the end of the week. <laughs> um, whenever anyone tries to, to expand it beyond the base, yeah. uh, they, they, they're getting shouted down, either by Len McCluskey, the, the union leaders, or I noticed uh, Chris Mullin, the, uh, the, the former junior minister veteran Labour MP having a pop at um, Yvette Cooper for daring to say that they must understand business. Mm. Said, do we want to ally ourselves with Wonga and Sports Direct? It seems that Labour are really struggling to understand why they lost. Uh, and this this happens after massive defeat. The, the Tories, are, after 97, were very happy with a campaign of save the pound and, and immigration without realising that that's not going to expand mm. beyond the base. And you do that when you need the comfort blanket. You want people saying that you're lovely. But but actually, if they are going to have any chance of getting back in within five years, uh, they, they have to look at what we identified in the Times as the cautious caths. The, these were the people who decided late in the day 
how they were going to vote, the Mondeo man of this election, mm. who who were, were worried about the economy, were worried about uh, paying their bills, and were aspirant. Yeah. Uh, I, I think Labour has forgotten that Britain is an aspirant nation and, and it should be on on the ha- uh, the side of those who want to do well. Libby Purvis, have you got a theory as to why Labour lost? Uh, Yes, I've been. Uh, oddly enough, it comes from the fact that I've been brooding a lot about the and wrote a, a piece about the extreme yowling of the left-wing media, um, media people about oh oh this is simply dreadful. How could it happen? How could this terrible tragedy of Labour losing happen? And I came to the conclusion that it's because an awful lot of that kind of commentator and columnist and artistic person knows absolutely nothing about the economy or about business. It's just not in their lives, you know, because they're either publicly funded or because their their lives have been pretty comfortable and media-ish and so on. And so they actually don't get the fact that there is an enormous number of people for whom, you know, if you can't sell something, if you can't, if your customers, if it doesn't work, then you, you simply won't have any money the mm. next the next mm. week. And this is why I think there is an enormous reservoir of people who just want stability and did not trust Labour to produce stability. And there's no point sort of pretending that only only Labour cares about the poor and that the Tories don't and want to grind people into the ground. That's just very simplistic and pointless. But there was just a huge economic sense that please let us have something stable. You know, let us not have the stock market collapse. Let us not have a lot of, of big random taxes and enormous welfare increases. Uh, people are scared. Mm. You By that, Giles Wittell, the uh, people, the British people just worried that Labour was too much of a risk. Yes, but I think I think we missed something as well with cautious cats. I think Labour also missed entrepreneurial eddies, right? I mean, forget the gender bit of that. Yeah. But it um, that it could uh, be uh, eddies, could be Edwinas. Edwinas, yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> but this this goes back to the A word, yes, aspiration, which must have been used more times than any other since the election. Um, oh, no, please don't go into aspirational Andes now, will you, or something? I think we've had enough of our alliteration for one morning. OK, I'll try not to. <laughs> but let, let's stick with Eddie. Um, he or she could be white van man defecting to UKIP or small business owner who looks at the Labour prescription, the Labour focus on zero-hours contracts and, and the minimum wage does not see any relevance and, and, and votes Tory. I'm reminded of the American elections in both 2008 and uh, 2012, and I know you and I disagree on the merits of the winning candidate in both cases, but in both cases what happened, in my view, is that the country had changed in a way that one party recognised and the other didn't. Mm. And this country's changed, and that is thanks to Thatcher, it's thanks to Blair, and it's no coincidence that the Labour leader who wanted to rewind the clock to pre-Blair, lost. I think we've become become a nation of entrepreneurs and freelancers to a much, much greater extent than we used to be. It's interesting, I've written about how the the revenue simply doesn't understand this yet and assumes anyone who's freelancers on the fiddle. Um, That it's, It's really important to get a grip on the fact that a lot of people see now a very tight and close, close connection between food on the table and the work they do. I think we're also, as a society, becoming less polarised politically. We, we, we want to do a pick-and-mix approach to politics. We might like Labour's stance on this, a Conservative stance on, on that, and we weigh up the, the equation at, at the end of it. And I, I worry, listening to some of the early uh, discussion from, from Labour, that they really are just talking tribally to the base. Harriet Harman was reported as having addressed the Labour Party 
and said the first thing we're supposed to do is attack the Tories at every single moment. I'm not sure the country wants to hear attack. They want a bit of vision. Yeah. But, you know, Harriet Harman, as, as you said earlier, she is uh, St Paul's educated millionaire Nisa Vanell. I mean, she's is labour to her fingertips. <laughs> <laughs> what, what does she understand of the working man? She mm. got very cross last time. All the working woman. All the working woman. But talking about attacking the Tories banging on about the NHS the whole time without yeah. actually offering solutions. They've if- rushed into, for example, um, we're recording this after Andy Burnham has just had a, yet another um, high-profile endorsement. He seemed to have clocked up a number of them from senior Labour people already. This is just 10 days after the election outcome. There's not been much sign of a great deal of reflection. They've immediately gone into choosing or well, a lot of them have immediately gone into choosing who will be their next leader. It all seems a bit rushed. And that's what I mean about not having it as an internal talking shop. They need to go out, they need to do events around the country to which anyone can be invited, town halls that doesn't matter whether you're a Labour mm. Party member. Come along and put your point to them and listen. Listen and learn and then you lead. And um, Libby, a little bit of humility probably from us as well in the commentariat as well, because a lot of us didn't predict the Tories would win. You, S- sitting, you, you in did. This, sitting in this very room, I predicted that, I, that I, the Tories uh, the Tories would win with a, with a usable majority, and I was I was very much put down by our senior polling person. <laughs> <laughs> I, did you they, have some money on it? Did you? No, because I'm a fool. You could have got ten to one. Could I? On a Tory majority. Good grief. But, like, you're upset, Libby, now. But <laughs> you accepted as a super-fired columnist as you are, but there's been a rush also to sort of say Labour was too left-wing, it had the wrong leader. Are we sure that we've diagnosed this correctly? How much a factor was it the SNP? How much factor was it the strength of the economy? It's hard, really, to disentangle a large number of factors to explain why Labour lost or why the Conservatives won. I think that the SNP is obviously part of it, just on on pure numbers. But I think that if you look at England, there's been some sort of shocking Labour defeats, you know, shocking to supporters, uh, Labour defeats as well. No, but I that's just... what I mean. The le- partly the Labour defeats may have been because people feared that a Labour SNP government would. Um, be in power and they voted Conservatives to stop it all over the country. I, I don't know about that. I, 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 really think, I really think people don't don't angst about it quite as much as we do sitting in this room, to be honest. That would be difficult. I think there was yeah. just a sense that, that, you know, Cameron seems good bloke, economy seems all right, Osborne looks like something out of Star Trek, but OK, it all seems to be going all right. You know, keep tight, keep tight hold... Which do you think Mr Spock. Mr Spock. Obviously, since, have you not seen the new hairdo? No, mm. ran into him in the Today programme. I thought it was. I thought it was Leonard Nimoy. <laughs> yeah. His ears are pretty normal. But yeah, but I wasn't looking at his ears. Okay. <laughs> who would you have if you from Star Trek? Pa- no, who, yeah, who, <laughs> which Star Trek character would you have leading the Labour Party? Or alternatively, Patrick, which of the oh, five? Lieutenant uh, Uhura. Five Le- Lieutenant dig- Uhura, absolutely. <laughs> well, she's, yeah, well, Doctor McCoy. It's illogical. <laughs> anyway, what, what was Wh- your which of the five candidates that are currently standing do you think is most impressive? I am not impressed with Andy Burnham. He's mm-hmm. exceedingly northern. Have you noticed he's got more northern as the campaign's gone on? I'm not quite sure that's what we want. And um, I do, <laughs> do, do apologise to our northern listeners at this point. <laughs> um, I, I'm, you th- I'm quite... But seriously, though, you think there might be the problem with the sort of the slightly northern Scouse voice appealing to southerners? Is that what you're saying? Well, perhaps. Certainly his... his video announcing the start of his campaign where his voice seemed to have become even more northern it was like and again it was talking to yourself and, and you think that matters i'm being serious for a moment i think you have to soften your your, your, your yes you have to speak to the nation mm. um i don't think 
you know, you need to have a Mockney accent. I think that's absolute nonsense. I think we're beyond worrying about accent. Fair enough. Okay, let's put, let's put you in your place. That that's true. That's the chief, leader, in, the chief leader rider of the I times know, I spoken. I was quite impressed with Liz Kendall when she was on uh, yeah. Andrew Marr. I'd not seen much of her before. She was ballsy. She, as you know, was Andrew Marr was Andrew Neil, wasn't it? And she took the fight to him. She was asking questions of Andrew Neil. Um, and I quite liked, liked that. So, mm. so I think she's a bit of a dark horse. I'm disappointed Chaka Amana's dropped out because I think he offered something quite interesting. But, you know, he didn't go to Oxford, so yeah. that was clearly why he had to drop out. <laughs> In all of this discussion, we're talking about the, uh, the British general election, Giles, we're talking about the leadership candidates. But this is a more fundamental problem is for the left globally is that we are in an age not just of temporary austerity but potentially long-term austerity because of demographic changes globalization making it hard for individual nations to raise taxes substantially the left haven't really answered that fundamental question about what the left does when money isn't flowing into the treasury coffers on a on a large sustainable basis well there are certainly cases greece uh, chief amongst them where you have uh, simultaneously a hard left populist government and a non-functioning tax collection system. I'm not sure that that pattern necessarily repeats itself all over and do remember that you have a uh, defiantly undemocratic, though admittedly capitalist system going gangbusters still in China. In other words, there, there is an alternative model that many less savoury regimes are, are looking to rather than Western free market capitalism. But those are immature economies which have got plenty of catching up to do. Um, the, 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 for more advanced economies like our own, it's, it's not entirely clear what the left does when budgets are going to be tight for years and years to come. Right, and, and the lesson to all of them from, from this election, the British election, which turns out to have been so much more interesting in the result than in the campaign, is that... Um, growth comes first, which is something that the Times uh, has always uh, maintained in its leader. And final, final question to you before we move on to your topic, actually, but um, what could Barack Obama teach the Labour Party as it seeks to, to rebuild? Because in a way, he did have a lot of the left-wingery that Ed Miliband offered, which is now Labour proposing to ditch, including increasing taxes on the wealthy. He had quite a anti-rich person message partly because his Republican opponent Mitt Romney was very wealthy himself but is there something the Labour Party can learn from the American president? Yes uh, go into the next election with an overarching optimistic message uh, that is what Obama most conspicuously had in in 2008 and uh, neither of his opponents that is Hillary or McCain did deploy uh, modern campaigning techniques as Jim Messina did and he of course came over to the Tories and by the way that ease for Messina of moving from the uh, American Democrats to the British Tories says everything else you need to know about the lessons. Yes by 2012 Obama was uh, making voters more aware of, of Romney's uh, he was ex uh, excuse me emphasizing the rich poor divide but if you are American you come from a very different place 
Um, your tax cuts are from a lower base, etc. Okay. Well, enough about Megan Trainer and about the base. But while the lips are still moving, did you see what I did there, Patrick? Um, we will go on to the subject of Trident, um, which is your topic, Giles. And you are going to prove to us now that the chief leader writer of the Times doesn't necessarily always agree with the leaders in the Times, because your view on Trident is um, Not slightly same. different from the view of the one that the editor has approved. Tell us why you're sceptical about Trident. Yes, the, the view of the paper is collegial. It's not just the editors. <laughs> but uh, I'm not saying that Britain doesn't need an independent nuclear deterrent, though I think the argument for that is weaker than many people often maintain. I am saying that Trident specifically is the wrong allocation of scarce resources when the only plausible nuclear threat is state-sponsored nuclear terrorism as opposed to a Cold War-style showdown of the period when Trident was, was built. and, and uh, a Is fun- that right? Um, China, Russia, they still have uh, nuclear weapons that could be launched by missiles. They I- do. I- I- Iran might have them in the next five years. North Korea might have them within the next two years. They do, and I'm arguing that uh, state-sponsored nuclear terrorism is a far more plausible threat than a showdown with any of those. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details countries uh, a missile to missile toe-to-toe dr strangelove style style showdown and uh, a far more likely military challenge that we will be involved with is much more like those of afghanistan iraq or more recently the the mess in in syria where we have betrayed our soldiers and our allies by being under-equipped in terms of basic equipment like reinforced fighting vehicles and and troops um, The point 
of a nuclear deterrent is to ultimately to enhance national security. I don't think anyone would seriously argue that Germany or the Netherlands is less secure as a nation than we are, precisely because they don't have an independent nuclear deterrent. Uh, if we have to have one, there are many other cheaper ways of having one than four giant uh, ballistic missile submarines, one of them constantly deployed. And I, th I think um, Eisenhower would uh, identify our current obsession with Trident for what it is, which is a stitch up by Britain's little version of the military industrial complex. Libby, Patrick, do either of you want to defend the renewal of Trident? Not really, no. I, I was a Today reporter way back in the 70s and I remember ceaselessly interviewing very senior military chaps who would explain to me that in the future there'd be no conventional warfare, so we didn't really need conventional troops or anything like that. We just needed lots of nuclear stuff. And then, of course, what did we have? We had Gulf 1, we had Gulf 2, we had Bosnia, we had Iraq. Endless, endless need for strong conventional uh, weaponry so if i mean i i am no expert i really cannot speak regarding whether trident as a nuclear weapon is is a is a better or worse one than than we need but i think that the the need for really strong properly funded very well trained very well equipped conventional forces for all sorts of reasons peacekeeping and so on and and indeed you know, winning hearts and minds, which is a lot of what the military and, and the Royal Navy certainly does across the globe, is very important. I'm just a bit doubtful, though, about the idea of, of able seaman William McAwall um, <laughs> saying it's all right. open to terrorism, because, frankly, you know, if that's going to be your argument for stopping something, close all the nuclear power stations and close the London Underground, you know. Uh, so I'm not sure about that side of the argument. But I, I, I very much see what, what Giles is saying, and I, I, I speak for conventional forces because they're being sort of cut and cut and cut and we're, we're at risk of losing quite a lot of their, their skills. If, if we stop Trident though, would the money go into conventional forces? Wouldn't it just be go on more bedpans and more exercise books in schools? Because if you, if you look at the absolute flow of spending in, in the UK, it's all towards so softer services, if you like, rather than the harder services. These are political decisions and this is where you just have to lean on governments and lobby and write and be cross and vote, you know, for the things which you think are right. I Giles mean, money will always money will always leaders. go to go to wrong places or, or less urgent places. I mean, I, I think the squeezing of conventional forces is, is quite a serious mm. problem. I just think, Patrick, that this is more about our reluctance to spend any money on defence rather than on a particular defence project. And that, that seems to me to be the bigger problem in the UK at the moment is that we're just not aware of how dangerous the world is and not willing to put the money into our long-term strategic defences. Well, it was tremendously disappointing that no-one would commit to spending the 2% the, the target. Don't forget UKIP. UKIP did. They did. They did. <laughs> and, and they will use their MP very... <laughs> I, as far as my view of Trident goes... The only point of our nuclear deterrent is for me to feel slightly uneasy whenever the Today programme is briefly off the air. Ever since I read in a Peter Hennessy book that this was the signal that Russia had attacked with the Today programme <laughs> being... Yes. And it happened a couple of days ago. There was about 30 seconds where nothing was broadcast. Jim Nockerty was silent. And I was very concerned that Russia had... But, um... Jim Nockerty is in somewhere reassuring. Did you hide under your bed <laughs> temporarily <laughs> until you heard Jim Nockerty again? The tintin book in my head. I do wonder whether it's a good use of money. I'm, Charles is absolutely right. £100 billion over four. 40 years actually doesn't amount to a huge amount. But you talked about conventional forces and, and spending on defence. I'd also like to see that money spent on intelligence. 
on, mm-hmm. on actual... If you're talking about rogue states and people with dirty suitcases and things like that, our best defence against that is actually infiltration and, and monitoring. I, um, I count that in, in amongst conventional forces, to well, be yeah, honest. Yeah. I, I, no, I think that's, that's part of it. Intelligence is part of it. Yes. Um, and so I'd like to see 2% spent on that to, in, to include that, because... Uh, the idea of ever deploying Trident, it would just seem such a waste because we'd be wasted ourselves at that stage. Well, that's a, that's the great nuclear conundrum, isn't it? I, before we move on to the very important topic going from nuclear phones, nuclear warheads <laughs> to mobile phones, I want to read this to you, Giles, just so uh, you can respond. If this country did not have a continuous patrol, it would need to decide when to deploy its capabilities to defuse the crisis. That deployment might inflame rather than calm the situation. And if only three boats were in service, which is the sort of idea of a slightly cheaper version of Trident, their deterrent effect would be compromised. An aggressor might count on being able to destroy the submarines in port. That's the argument in in a Times leader for a continuous at sea nuclear deterrent. I know you're suspicious at all about whether we need a nuclear deterrent for a missile attack, but if you're going to have a have the kind of Trident system, you want something a continuous at sea. Do you at least buy that? There is an argument if you're going to have submarines, I, I gather, to have four rather than three, so the one is always at sea. Yes, mm. but I refer the honourable gentleman, that is you and the author of the leader, which wasn't me, uh, to the Israeli model. Uh, d- deny everything, keep everyone yeah. guessing... And in fact, what you've got is a few bombs on a shelf in a place which, that you don't identify and you deploy them as necessary. Tell us just just briefly, how, you obviously don't agree with all Times leaders. How does the system work for the interest of Times readers? How is the decision taken about what the Times position is on a ask well, on a position on an issue and then who would write it? We have a, a meeting in the middle of every day when we discuss... Uh, which subjects to opine on and what we think about them. And we will refer, if anyone in the room can remember, to previous leaders on the subject. We will canvass the editor chiefly, but everyone else in the room, uh, for their opinions. And it's always it's very quick, easy to see which subjects get everybody going, uh, which are the talking points, where we can have a useful, strong opinion, and those are the, those are the subjects that we alight on. And the person who writes writes it... Um, has a duty to try to channel the consensus in the room rather than to smuggle in their own opinions. But but you sort of implied earlier when I said that the editor decided, you implied that it was more of a sort of collective decision. Is is that right? He's first among equals. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he, might the, li- he might be listening to he's this, He's the Giles, most important man in the room, but uh, everyone else there is allowed their say. I must say that the most important leader recently isn't Trident, but it's in defending the hedgehog, which was a very important issue. Very yes. close to the editor's heart, incidentally, and uh, I think that's far more... We generally approve of wildlife. Yes. But not badgers, because they eat hedgehogs. <laughs> True. I, I learned that from the leader. True. Right, I'm going to try and bring this conversation under control now, and I should say that all those of you who are Times readers... And if you go to thetimes.co.uk slash comment central, you, you can access some articles that uh, provide background reading to what we've uh, been discussing, including, I shall put there, the leader on the hedgehog. So if you want to know what Patrick Kidd is going on about, you can be enlightened. Libby, one of my favourite articles recently in The Times, and I'll link to this as well, was the discovery that we have, as human beings now, shorter attention spans than goldfish. <laughs> And I think part of this is almost certainly due to the fact that we are 
always checking our mobile phones every millisecond. And you are very pleased that mobile phones have been shown to be... Uh, confirm common sense that mobile phones in classrooms are a distraction for pupils and you want to crack down. Yeah, if, if, if 20 years ago, if you'd suggested that during the short school day, children should have with them music and video players, recording machines, telephones, telex, photo albums with full faking capacity, full social communication with everyone on the planet, including pornographers, you would have been thought absolutely nuts. <laughs> but of course they do. Smartphones are being tolerated, even if not officially, in a lot of schools. And the distraction problems, the discipline problems, the bullying, including bullying of teachers and theft problems, are absolutely obvious. Now we have this LSE research showing that schools where the ban is seriously and rigorously enforced in school hours see a measurable rise in achievement and, very importantly, even more measurable rise in achievement among the lowest scoring kids academically. And now schools are going to argue that, oh, parents insist he has his phone with him and that they don't have any space for lockers, which actually is another scandal because children are carrying far too heavy loads of books all day and that's been shown to have quite serious physical effects. Uh, or they say they have no right to remove phones forcibly, even if someone's texting or photographing in class because of children's rights. And I think this is tough. It should be a serious educational priority. I'm delighted that enough schools are doing it properly for the LSE to have studied them. And if necessary, you should use parent volunteers to take phones in at the start of the day, return them at the end. It's laborious, but it really is the only way. And uh, when we say that um, when this research finds attainment increased, how big are improvement are we talking about? I think about? it was about 6% over the board and 14% in the lowest scoring what they so call it's, quartile. It's, not, it's a significant improvement. So it's, if you think it's, it makes sense, the distraction, the endless checking, the texting, even the fact that out in the playground, you know, there's you come out of a class and there's no sense of actually what went on in that class is still going on in your head, because of course it's not because you're on Facebook. Well, it's you this isn't just phones in the classroom, this is them being banned in during, the playground over During lunch. the school day, absolutely, yes. you know, because and, and, and the Lunch break. Their social relationships are all online then, rather than with real huge amounts. And people. there's a, there's another little bit of research about uh, well, 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 it's a, he a head teacher's point of view, uh, but it's an experienced head teacher saying that actually he thinks exam pressure. Yes, that's all very bad, and we write about that constantly. But social pressure on kids is extreme. If in the school day you could just be free of all that and be mm. yourself and your mind and your mm. teachers and your subjects and what you're learning, that that is education. That is how in a good school it used to be but mobiles are wrecking it for a lot of kids okay patrick kidd nicola morgan reappointed as education secretary forget all these other um laws and reforms she wants to pass ban mobile phones from the classroom and install lots of lockers in I'm schools in... to accommodate <coughs> that ban yes i'm in agreement i'm as the, the father of a, a young girl who starts primary school this this autumn i'm hoping that mobile phones like boyfriends make up and, and uh, earrings are something that happens when she's 18 but i'm, I'm realistic oh, that oh at some point she will <laughs> she what she will want a phone, but I I think it 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 is wrong, abhorrent as Libby says that that children should be able to fiddle away during classes. I, I can't. It must be extremely hard. And I have great respect for teachers to keep an eye on thirty children at the same time. Um, and of course, when we were at school, some people looked at things under their desks. Or I remember one boy set fire to his desk in one class, and it wasn't noticed until flames were coming out of the top. But your mind isn't anywhere near the game. And and Libby is right that, that in the playground as well, you should be playing you should be socializing you shouldn't be updating your facebook step so yes i think you're right you you use parents 
if teachers won't, won't do it. But the very idea that children's rights would stop people from confiscating their their phones I find very disturbing. Well, yeah. Just parents, also, there is, a, there is sometimes there is a strong fear of parents. Parents will come <coughs> storming in and physically attack and threaten teachers, mm. uh, you know, because you, you, took my, you took my kid's phone, you know, he, he used to talk to me you know, through the day. Well, he doesn't have to uh, talk to them during lessons. Well, but even, even yeah. in breaks, even, you know, it, it's... Uh, uh, the, the teachers are really under the cosh from so many directions now. A lot of their freedoms yeah. have simply been taken away what, from them. This the, is one of the what symptoms. What is the current legal position, Libby, when the parent says this to the teacher? Does the teacher have enough the backing from the Department for Education, from whoever they need backing from, to say, actually, no, while your child is here, they do not have access to a mobile phone? Depends what school you're in and what it's the, entirely governor, what devolved, the, what the yeah. governors are like and, uh, you know, how strong... But no, who's going but to go all the, power, the way to the Department of the, Education? But, because it, of t- because but it, is the power, it is empowered that schools can state set this policy. Yes, of course they can. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Giles, you're, Giles, you're not going to disagree with any of this, are you? Well, I warned you in advance that I was going to agree vehemently and violently <laughs> with this. Um, I mean, look, uh, for the sake of um, variety, let me let me just say that smartphones are a technological miracle. I remember very clearly when I first saw a friend's uh, iPhone, she was absolutely delighted with it. It was clearly going to change her life. But being a technological miracle, I think I think we should practically uh, uh, legislate around them as we have cars. You can't, which was a technological miracle for an earlier generation, you can't drive until you're 16, 17? 17, 17, I think. Um, 17, yeah. And, and I agree so profoundly that it's a disgrace that um, schools are not grasping the nettle, remembering that they have a right and responsibility to to issue rules, to make rules. I am this close to outing my kids' school for, for not uh, banning them at the school gate. Um, just a brief note on Britain's productivity puzzle. I'm very persuaded, if you look at adults, that a part of the reason for that is that uh, grown-ups are too distracted by by these things, uh, uh, and that's why we don't get more done in the working day. We have MPs playing Candy Crush during select yeah. committee meetings. And I, I, in fact, at this point, I, I want to apologise to the editor of the Times for always filing late, because I'm always dealing with emails, and I, I need to remember that you don't have to respond to them immediately. And you're not on Twitter, I, which is always... Um, I'm Do you too, know what? I discovered Twitter on election night. It's actually very, very very useful as an alternative to the wire services. Yes. Twitter is a tremendous, a tremendous tool for the, and, and also there's this brilliant thing, it's a mute button. If someone gets really annoying, you don't have to block them, which they know about and they feel insulted. You just mute them. I mute uh, hundreds of people. I've muted a few people as well. Well, I think given this consensus, I'm going to wrap things up. Can I just add one thing in, in here as well? It's insubordination, I'm taking not, off from well, Patrick Kidd, but very briefly. Well, also with phones, it's the checking of information, it's the Googleization of education, and, and, and and that slightly bothers me as well, that children don't need to learn things. Um, it makes it all too easy if you can just go onto your phone and look up on Wikipedia. Yeah. So it's not just a distraction, it's actually it, it's stopping you to using your, your memory. Same does apply to columnists and journalists, oh, does of course. it not, well, Patrick? Yes, yes. <laughs> well, we all use <laughs> I'm definitely moving on and closing the <laughs> conversation at that point. Libby Purvis, Patrick Kidd, Giles Battelle, thank you very much. Thank you to my producer, Dave Maguire. Most of all, thank you to you for listening. And I hope you've enjoyed the fact that we are no longer just talking about politics. Goodbye. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.